Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to North Haven. Good morning, those of you also who are watching virtually. Thank you so much for being with us. And for all of us, we want to make sure that we're connecting with one another. Again, this is the year to regroup, to find one another again. And a big way to do that is that Church Center app. So if you haven't downloaded that, whether you're here in person or virtually, please take a moment, do that, fill that out. Um, That gives you just access to lots of great things and ways in which we can connect. Also, um, what it does, too, is it provides you the opportunity to uh, let us know how we can pray for you. And that prayer thing, we cannot forget to be praying for one another. We, we need to be doing that more now than ever. So um, if, if you would bless us with the opportunity to know how we can pray, you can do that either uh, through the connection card that's, re- that's right there in front of you, or you can do it through that app. Uh, real simple. And then we take, as, um, as a staff, we take time each week to sit down and to pray over those things. So my name is Adam Sidler. I'm the senior pastor here, and it's, uh, it's just a thrill to be together here today. Um, if you've been um, new, if you've been coming for a few times or maybe a few months, and, and uh, there's two things. If you haven't met me, I want to meet you. I want to know who you are. I want to know how we can connect, how I can support you. But then also, if you haven't been yet to a pizza with staff, uh, so if you've been new any time over the last, you know, six, seven, eight months, um, and, and you haven't yet been to a pizza with staff, we do this once a month. Today's the day. I want to invite you to come. Um, I will gladly give my pizza to you. Uh, so uh, you can come. You don't even have to have said that you're going to be there. And uh, we'll sit down and talk to you a little bit about um, what North Haven is, um, a little bit of its history, uh, some of our, you know, just kind of beliefs and statements and all that kind of stuff, Uh, ministries, give you a chance to answer any questions as well. So if you uh, would like to participate in that, it's going to be right after the service here today at 12 p.m. at the tables there in the commons, all right? Weather's getting nicer. I'm thankful for that. Praise God. Uh, my son, uh, for the first time yesterday, put out his, uh, his lemonade stand. Um, we, uh, we built one a while back, and, uh, and my little entrepreneur, he made 38 bucks yesterday. Right, <laughs> He's 10 years old. Um, so uh, that reminds me, he's going to be setting up in the commons. So um, just keep in mind that he's the senior pastor's kid. Um, Proceeds go to to my um, Apple fund. All right, so um, we've been in a series that we're calling Villains. Uh, We've been looking at, uh, today we're going to finish it up, we've been looking at villains from the Bible. And it's interesting, we've looked at not only um, uh, villains, people who are actually uh, villainous and did, did, you know, hurtful things, but also people who were perceived as villainous. So we looked last week at the sinful woman, this woman who was described by others as being sinful. Uh, She went in to anoint Jesus' feet with perfume. And as she goes in, a Pharisee as well as others in the the room uh, said, this sinful woman shouldn't be touching Jesus, and Jesus shouldn't allow this sinful woman uh, to touch touch his feet. Um, And we kind of realized through that process 
that uh, the ones who were really acting villainous were the ones that were claiming the woman was being such. So today we're going to look at one last villain. Now, uh, yes, of course, Uh, The main villain of the Bible is the enemy, right? Satan, uh, Lucifer. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against rulers of this dark world. Um, But if we could say, you know, like a human being, like a character in the Bible that is quintessentially, you know, villainous, you know, the, the most vile, evil person in the Bible. If I was to do a poll here in this place and ask you guys, and you were to turn that in, I think that we would pretty much determine who we think the, um, the majority of us, the most villainous person in the Bible is. Anybody want to take a Crack, what? Judas. Judas. That, I mean, doesn't take much for us to think. I mean, this is the guy that literally turned, betrayed Jesus, right? He betrayed Jesus. He betrayed Jesus with a holy kiss, helping the authorities recognize who Jesus was so that they could eventually arrest, sentence, and crucify Jesus Christ. But let's let's set the stage here. We need to understand some some truths about Judas that that many of us know, but it kind of helps hone us in on some of the truths that we're going to be picking up today. The first is this, and, and this shouldn't come as really any surprise. I mean, for those of you that have grown up in the church, you definitely know this, that Judas was one of the 12. He was one of the 12. In, in Luke chapter 6, verse 13 through 16, when morning came, Jesus called his disciples to him. Now, let's just take a pause there for a second because we tend to forget this. There are a lot of people that follow Jesus through his ministry, a lot of people. And, and, and so Jesus actually gets all those people together, and all, all those people, he picks 12. He picks 12, handpicks them. He calls the disciples to him, and he, cho- and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. So Simon, uh, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, James son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, uh, son of James, a different Judas, and then Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So G- Judas is among the big 12, right? These 12 individuals who have been hand-selected by Jesus himself to to not only follow him, but to actually like go where Jesus goes, to do ministry with him, uh, to, to hang out with Jesus at every turn. So not only was Jesus or Judas amongst the 12, he was in that inner circle, he also had a very specific role. Anybody want to tell me what his job was? He was the treasurer, I guess. Yeah, so you always got to be careful of those, right? No, he was the treasurer, I guess. Yeah, he counted the money. He kept the money. So all the monies that were donated, uh, that, you know, someone had to be in charge of that. And that money was used to, you know, buy food, you know, shelter, also to help people that were in need, I'm sure. And, and Judas was the guy, all right? He was in charge of the money bag. In John chapter 13, verses 27 through 29, we see this moment where Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room right before Judas was to betray him, and Judas 
turns to, or Jesus turns to Judas and says, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. We'll get to that here in a minute. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. So the the disciples, they were completely clueless about what was happening here. They didn't understand why Judas all of a sudden left. I mean, they, they probably, they assumed that he was going to be doing some sort of financial uh, you know, task. He was going to go pay somebody or go buy something because that's what he did. But here's the deal. Judas followed Jesus. He followed Jesus. Uh, Judas didn't go kicking and screaming. He wasn't a prisoner. He followed Jesus willingly. He was in the Big 12. He was in Jesus's inner circle, and he was responsible for taking care of the money. So it should come as no real surprise that he abused the authority that he had. In John chapter 12, verse 6, Judas was a thief. He's a keeper of the money bag, right? And he used to help himself and what was put into it. Yeah, there's something very curious about Judas. And maybe you're asking this question yourself in this, in this moment. Yes, Jesus, Judas was in the inner circle. He, he, he was with Jesus. He followed Jesus. He, he even had a responsibility, a fiscal responsibility, a role in the group as well. But it doesn't seem that Judas was really in alignment with Jesus or what Jesus did or didn't do. Yet this is, this is the interesting and curious aspect of Judas. He stuck with him. Judas stuck with Jesus. Yeah, he was in the inner circle. Yeah, he followed Jesus. He was one of the big 12. Yeah, he had this responsibility. And yeah, he stole from the money bag. And yet, he still followed Jesus. You know, as we've been looking at these, these villains over the course of this series, the question that, I, that I, I keep posing is, what can we learn from these characters? How can, how can their stories benefit our life as followers and um, believers in Jesus Christ? And the first lesson, the first lesson I want to hone in here that we can learn from Judas is this. Don't simply follow Jesus but seek to be like him. There's a huge difference. There's a tremendous chasm between just following Jesus and then seeking to be like him. You know what's interesting? Judas had all of the attributes that the other disciples had. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, maybe you've known this, or maybe you've forgotten it, but let's remind ourselves. Jesus called his 12 disciples, this inner circle, right? He called his disciples to him, and he gave them, he gave all of them, all 12 of them, including Judas, authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Do you, can you accept, do you realize that God can use people He could actually, and he does, give power and ability to some people, regardless of whether those individuals believe in him or not. 
Yet with even all that power and ability, it's interesting that it was not a guaranteed that Judas was indeed not just following Jesus, but making him the leader of his life. I mean, Jesus talks about this. He talks about this conundrum. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 through 23, this is, this is what he says. He says, many will say to me on that day, that day of judgment, where we all, all of us will stand before God. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, did we not drive out demons? And in your name, did we not perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It is possible to follow Jesus and to not actually make him the leader of your life. It is possible to follow Jesus and not be transformed from the inside out. It is possible to follow Jesus and not receive the free gift of grace that we desperately need in order to be saved. You see, we can follow Jesus. That's not hard. But to make him the leader of your life, that's where the rubber hits the road. And that you can follow Jesus and then simultaneously not recognize him as your leader and as your savior. You could follow Jesus and simultaneously not desire to be like him. You can follow Jesus and not wish to take your cue from him. So why did Judas stick around? You see, there is, there is a, a situation that the disciples were experiencing and that it's really, really hard for us to understand or comprehend because we have the benefit of hindsight. <laughs> we have God's word in front of us. We're able to read the complete story. We know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that he rose from the dead three days later and he's living today and that by believing in, in him that we can become children of the almighty God. And so, and so when we read Jesus' words to the disciples and Jesus is talking about how he's going to die and then he's going to raise back to life, you know, we read that with the context and understanding of that's what Jesus did and it makes sense to us. But imagine, we got to do this with God's word. Imagine being in the disciples' shoes in that moment. You see, many, many Jews anticipated at this time the coming Messiah. I mean, it was, it's, all, it's strewn all throughout the Old Testament, and the Old Testament was their Bible, essentially, when Jesus was, was alive here on earth. They had been taught all their years about the Messiah was coming. And the resurrection from the dead, that was definitely something they believed in, but it was for the end of time. Not, not for the Son of God, not for the Messiah, but for the end of time. So the disciples, being, being uh, uh, certainly raised in, in that Jewish context and culture and community, they truly believed that Jesus was the Son of God. They truly believed that Jesus was the Messiah, even Judas. Judas. 
And as such, they believed in an interpretation of what their Bible said, that the Messiah would sit on the throne and reestablish Israel. Jerusalem. Why not? Why would they not want to be with Jesus when that happened? You see, in their minds, they believed that there was going to come a point. That's why when Jesus goes to Jerusalem and the palm branches, that triumphant entry, that's why that's such a big deal. Because so many, so many of the Jews in that moment, including the disciples, believed it was imminent. It was just a matter of time before Jesus was somehow in some way going to raise the rebellion. They were going to overthrow the Roman government, and they were going to make Israel... God's nation again. It's interesting when we look at the disciples and some of their um, motives and thoughts during this time. In Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 37, James and John, two of the disciples, they are brothers. They, they go to Jesus and they say this. They say, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. I dare you to start your prayer with that. <laughs> see, what, see what God does. <laughs> what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. And they replied, let us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You know what they're asking? They're asking Jesus when that time comes, because we believe you're the Messiah. Judas believed that too. And when that time comes and you are the king on an earthly throne, can we literally sit on your right and your left? The disciples weren't bad men. They were just like us. Short-sighted. Focused on self. The disciples, including Jesus, were basically interested in career advancement. They simultaneously believed that Jesus was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah, but they also believed that following him meant that they were going to be in the inner circle when Jesus was king. That's why they were always so confused when Jesus was talking about dying and then coming back to life. That's why a guy like Judas would stick around. And you know what's interesting? Uh, Judas would not have followed Jesus unless he knew he was the Messiah. But Judas was only in it for himself. I find it compelling that Jesus knew. He knew all along that Judas would betray him, even before Judas did. In John 6, 64, Jesus testifies to this. So this is early on in his ministry. He says, there are some of you who do not believe. This is amongst his followers. Isn't that interesting? You can follow Jesus and not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. 
So we've arrived now at the second lesson that we've learned from Jesus. And at first, this is going to sound, it's going to sound a little um, frustrating, discouraging maybe. And that's this. God's purpose prevails regardless of your buy-in. God's purpose prevails regardless of your buy-in. You see, there is a God, and we're not him. We give ourselves way too much credit. And, and honestly, social media has exacerbated this because we think that the whole world needs to know what we've had for dinner. We just assume and believe that everyone and anyone should know who we are, what we think, and what we believe, what we, what we need to feel like we need to say. This, this culture mentality has increased and increased and increased over the years to the point now where we feel like, like God literally can't do anything without me. You know, vision, if you talk about vision for your life or vision for your family, your ministry, your, your, your calling, your occupation or whatever, you know, vision isn't about recreating the wheel. Vision is about realizing what God is already in the business of doing and then getting on board with that. And, and honestly, that it can seem discouraging when we think about how God's purpose will prevail regardless of our buy-in. Um, but would we want it any other way? I mean, Paul says, I'm the worst of sinners. I feel the same way literally feel the same way. And I'm telling you that if God's purpose was dependent on on my involvement or my buy-in, you guys are in a lot of trouble. I mean, don't we want God's purpose to be solely in the palms of a God who will never forsake us, who will never disappoint, who will never discouraged, who's always faithful, who's always true, who is the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow, would we want God's purpose in any other hands than that? The fulfillment of God's purpose happens with or without us. And here's, here's a, a, um, a third lesson that really kind of gets lost in the mix of this, and that's this. We need to love the eternal more than the temporal. We need to love the eternal more than the temporal. I've talked about this before, and this is, this is a, I know it's kind of a meta idea, but it's super profound to me, and so of course I think it should be profound to you. <laughs> but here's the deal. We are all, everybody here, everybody who's watching, everybody who has lived, who is living, and will live, everyone. We are all eternal beings. I'm not a Buddhist. This is biblical truth. In that, listen to this. All of us will either exist for eternity with God or without him. 
If I had a rope that spanned the width of this room, it started in that corner and went to that wall, and it was a red rope, I literally could not make a, ta- a piece of white tape small enough that would indicate how tiny, how much of a fraction of this existence here in this temporal life is compared to eternity. But yet we focus so much on this. And I get it. It's like fish. You know, if you try to ask them about the water, they would have no idea what you're talking about. This is the water we swim in. That's why we have to be intentional about remembering that we are eternal. Judas loved the temporal more than the internal. Specifically, Judas loved money more than the love of following Jesus as the leader of his life. You know, all, all it took for Judas to betray Jesus was what? 30 pieces of silver. That's it. See here, Judas is following Jesus, and, and he's, all, he's all jazzed because, because Jesus, he believes, he knows that Jesus is the Messiah, and the, and the Bible states that the Messiah is going to sit on the throne, and, and I'm in the inner circle, this is a big deal. Yeah, I don't really buy into all the stuff that he's saying and whatnot, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be with this guy because, wow, I'm seeing some great opportunity. But then, wow, things aren't really happening the way that I imagined that they would. It's not moving like I thought thought it would. You know what? Maybe this guy isn't the guy. I got to get whatever I can then out of this. I gave the last three years of my life to this dude. So I'll take 30 pieces of silver. At least that's something. But we shouldn't judge too quickly, should we? Many of us will exchange Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. It's the power of the temporal, whether that be money, lust, addiction, status. We can come, become completely blind to the beautiful nature of Jesus Christ, even though Judas was a disciple, even though he acted like a disciple, even though he was called a disciple, his heart was far from Jesus Because as Matthew 6.21 states, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart will always lay down with your treasure. The two are inseparable. So this then brings us to the last lesson that we can learn from Judas' life, and that is this. Do not condemn yourself because Jesus does not condemn you. I want to I um, uh, paint a picture here. We know the story of Judas, many of us, but if you don't, let me just quickly, quickly refresh your memory. So Judas is following Jesus. He's in the inner circle. He's one of the 12 disciples. But he gets discouraged, disappointed, and he figures he's got to get something out of this mess, so he agrees to the Jewish authorities to hand Jesus over for 30 pieces of silver 
And so on that night that Jesus was with his disciples, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prays, your will, not my will, because he knows what's coming. He knows he's actually going to give his life as a ransom for many. And it is at that moment that Judas arrives with the Roman authorities, and Judas identifies Jesus with a kiss. Jesus is arrested, he's sentenced, he's crucified, he dies, and in Matthew 27, verses 3 through 6, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Who condemned Judas? Judas did. There's a very interesting parallel, and I think it's important, and I don't think it's happenstance. Many of us know the story of Peter. We talked about it about a month ago, about how Peter denied Jesus three times after Jesus was arrested and was being sentenced. Peter was asked three times at point blank, do you know Jesus? You were with Jesus. And he said, I do not know the man. Completely disowning his friend, completely disowning his Messiah, completely disowning the Son of God. After the third time, Peter is so racked with remorse and with guilt and with shame that I, he just can't contain himself, and I bet it was hard for him to face himself and to face his friends. But there's that beautiful moment that we looked at at Easter. Do you remember this? When after Jesus rose from the grave, the disciples, they're in a boat and they're fishing, and Jesus appears on the shore, the resurrected Christ, and Peter is so overcome, so compelled, he doesn't even wait for the boat to slowly make its way to the shore, but he jumps in the water and swims to Jesus. I can't help but imagine something, and that's this. What if Judas hadn't condemned himself? What if we could have conversations about whether Judas had a choice to betray Jesus? We can have conversations as to whether Judas was possessed, and that's why he did it. But frankly, we're not going to get anywhere because people a lot smarter than us have been debating this for centuries. So regardless of that question, I can tell you this unequivocally. Judas alone was responsible for condemning himself. What if Judas, instead of condemning himself that way, what if he had wrestled similar to Peter with his guilt and with his shame and with his deep remorse long enough to see the risen Savior can you imagine how beautiful that moment must, would have been? Judas seeing Jesus, the resurrected Christ. And just as, Judas, just as Jesus did not wave his finger of judgment at Peter, 
Similarly, he would have looked at Judas and asked him, do you love me? Screwing up and regret should not be a death sentence. Jesus did not condemn Judas. In regret, Judas condemned himself. There is no act so horrible There is no act so egregious or beyond the reach of God through Jesus Christ that when we seek his forgiveness and repent, he will respond with love and compassion. You know, there's there's one moment in Scripture where Jesus tells us about his heart. And you know how he describes his heart? One, one time, you know how he describes his heart? I am gentle and humble in heart. I want to share with you a song, if you don't mind, as we close the service as a means to reflect and to pray. And this song is... Um, it's, it's written in dialogue in that it, it has um, a conversation that's being had between Jesus and you. And it speaks to this struggle that we all experience in our lives. And without it, boring you with other details, I'll just share it with you. This isn't the place I'd ever thought I'd be. But here I am, collapsed on bed and knee. My eyes open, but a cloud of darkness I see. I'd open my mouth, but I'm afraid to speak. This isn't the place. I'd ever thought I'd be. And Jesus responds, Oh, my child, I'm here. Oh, my child, can you hear me? Oh, my child, Right where you need me to be. How long I'll stay, I wish I knew. But I do know that soon I will see you. 
Because your light has a way of showing truth. When my world stops, I look and see only you. How long I'll stay, I wish I knew. And Jesus responds, Oh, my child, I'm here. Oh, my child, can you hear me? Oh, my child, I'm here. Right where you want me to be but yet we find ourselves in this place and we hear these words of truth but we spawn with exasperation saying it's so hard to see it's so hard to see it's so hard to see that you're right here with me it's so hard to see it's so hard to see oh it's so hard to see that you're right here with me oh my child i'm here Oh, my child, can you hear me? Oh, my child, I'm here right where you need me, right where you Father God, I pray that we would recognize, Lord, that you are present. Lord, that you have never left us, nor have you forsaken us, Lord. You do not condemn us, so we should not condemn ourselves. And that we should, with joy, with great expectation and hope and trust, enter into your heart a heart that is gentle and humble and waits and longs for us. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless. Have a wonderful day.